The following is an Auburn Network production. You are on the line. Live on ESPN 1067. Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Happy Friday, everybody. Hope you're doing well. It is almost the weekend. Thank goodness it is almost the weekend here on a Friday afternoon in the ESPN 106.7 studios. I'm Jacob Goins. Alongside me, as always, is Carter Byrne. We've got a great show on tap for you today here on the Friday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. We're going to talk some Braves. We have some Braves Today podcast audio to play for you from our good friend Lindsey Crosby and Ben Taylor. We'll talk about the Auburn basketball news because it seems like uh, Bruce Pearl and company maybe found their starting small forward, so we'll talk about the commitment that the Tigers picked up late last night. Uh, We'll talk about that, and then in hour number two, we'll talk some more basketball and then kind of recap what's been a very busy week in Auburn football transfer portal additions, and so that is what is on schedule for today. Uh, Again, we're going to start our number one here on the Friday edition of On the Line with the Braves Today podcast. This is brand new, recorded, cut, and produced today from our good friend Lindsey Crosby of Locked On MLB Prospects, Auburn Daily, and BravesToday.com, and Ben Taylor, host of Auburn Opelika this morning over on News Talk WANI 98.7, our sister station here for ESPN. And so, That's how we're starting the show today. Uh, It's about 15 minutes. They're previewing this series for the Atlanta Braves uh, against the Seattle Mariners as the Braves come home for what is a very long homestand, a much-needed homestand for the Atlanta Braves. And so, again, this is the Braves Today podcast with Lindsey Crosby and Ben Taylor. Welcome in, Braves Today. Bravestoday.com is where you find us. Braves underscore today on the Twitterverse. He is Lindsey Crosby. I am Ben Taylor. Before we get into what took place in Texas, which was an awesome thing, and what is about to take place with Seattle and Atlanta, there was something that came out uh, just the other day, Lindsay, that I sent to you. I screenshot it. There's a Reddit thread. It basically has to do with AI, but they did the most overrated Major League Baseball player since 2000, and I was shocked to see two Braves on there, our former Braves. Uh, Andrew Jones came in at number seven and Jason Hayward in at number two. Your thoughts, sir? Jason Hayward uh, still playing, but it's one of those, he was defensively really good. Uh, Never had the power like you would expect from a 240 pound man. And so like, you know what? Second most overrated player is a little high for him. But if you're comparing the hype to what he actually did, all right, fine. You know what? That's, I'll let it go. Andrew Jones though. (laughs) Let me just take a second. He's a Hall of Famer. He he is. Many people, myself included, consider him to be one of, if not the best defensive center fielder in baseball history. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ten-time gold glover, five-time all-star. He had a stretch from 2000 to 2007 where he averaged 36 home runs and 107 RBIs while getting gold gloves in center field and being a five-time all-star. I mean, he he 
it, it is very hard for me to not be like, yeah, he is, um, he is a Hall of Famer. He led all of baseball in home runs in 2005 with 51. Mm. He uh, led the National League in RBIs with 128. I just, I mean, I know that his career did not have the length that a lot of people wanted, but you also have to remember he debuted at age 19. And so he wasn't the same player in like 2009, 2010 at 32, 33, but Mm. he got started so incredibly early and he played just about every single game at physically the most demanding position on the field as far as how much you run, how much you use your legs in center field. And so to not only not have him as an, as an a hall of famer is ridiculous, but to have him as overrated, I will fight chat GPT. Well, and the funny part is, is when you look at these names, it seems like they, and let me just, let me just run through them real quick. Number one is a rod. And I know everybody says that. However, it says since 2000, a rod was doing fine in 2000. Mm-hmm. People forget at one point in time, he was the highest paid baseball player in the history of major league baseball. Uh, back when he was with the Texas Rangers, after he ended up leaving Seattle and he went to the Texas Rangers and then the Yankees stole him. Like, he was a hot commodity. Everybody wanted him. That was not overrated. He had the numbers to back it up, did A-Rod. From 2000 until he retired, he hit 548 home runs. He averaged 35 home runs a year from 2000 on. Come on. Maybe maybe he's not overrated. Maybe that's exactly. a little bit of a, of a bad, bad. He averaged being caught stealing three times a year after that. He's whilst, you know, come on, come on. And it seems like that's how AI picked it out. And that's how chat GPT picked it out was the downside of their career, like the back end of their career. Cause then you got Hayward Hayward still playing. I mean, I agree with you. I mean, granted the hype that came in still, uh, he was a good brave and he helped the Braves along a, a lot along the way. And I, you won't hear me say a bad thing about Jason Hayward. Uh, Tim Lincecum at short, one point in time short was career. He had a short career, but at one point in time was one of the hottest pitchers in baseball. Everybody wanted him, but the Giants would not let him go. And so he just – he was a weird dude. If you want to talk about that, I mean, he his personality was unbelievably strange. Uh, but, again, short career, probably cut it off a little early. David Eckstein, ah, Josh Hamilton. Well, hang on, a- hang on. David Eckstein, short career. Didn't debut until he was 26 years old. See? And so he only got, I think, 10 years in the bigs. Like, he retired after 2010 at age 35. So, short career. I'm noticing a trend with this chat GPT thing. Hamilton, same way. He got started late. Remember, he was a janitor at one point in time and Mm -hmm. ended up coming back and playing ball and still led the league in home runs for a couple of years and and won the home run contest. He also had some time where he had to take some time away from the game because of substance issues. So, again, putting him up there, I'm like, are you kidding me? Mark Pryor? The shortest of short careers. Yeah. So, it's Andrew long career. Still, I think they're taking a look at his numbers that he ended his career with instead of what he did as a brave uh, early in his career. No Mark Garcia para that guy will never buy a beer in Boston ever again. Everybody absolutely loves him. No ma, no ma. And he only played for nine years after 2000. And if mm-hmm. that's the, that's the arbitrary cutoff on this, you cut off some of his, like his rookie of the year, you cut off that. You cut off his runner-up for MVP. You cut off a couple All-Star appearances. If you only look at him after 2000, he's already 27 years old, and he had an injury. He played what 20 games in 2001 because of injury. So, like, mm. you cut off most of like the the good half of his Boston career there. 
Eric Gagne, absolutely a brave killer as far as closing the Braves out at the end of the game. That's another one that I can't – maybe they're looking at his numbers towards the end of his career when he headed out. I don't know where they got that from as far as Gagne is concerned. Also, short career. Debuted in 1999 at age 23. (laughs) Last appeared in baseball at age 32 in 2008. It's a trend. It is. It is. And then, of course, Betancourt rounds out the top 10. uh, Unitsky. Betancourt, by the way, uh, rounds out the top 10. Don't agree with it. That's the problem with AI. Again, that's not mine and, and Lindsay's list. That is a list that was created and put out by The Game Day. If you were looking, that was a thread that was both on Reddit as well as social media. Uh, again, two Braves up there in the top 10, which I completely disagree with both. Yep. Uh, we move on. Culberson is back. I put that at the top of my list because he's one of my favorite Braves ever, and he is back with the Braves as the Braves were able to pick him up. As I said on Twitter right after that was announced, the <clears> most <throat> clutch brave of the July of twenty of, of, of the summer of 2019. There you mm-hmm. go. The most most clutch brave of the summer of 2019. I think it was July 7th. He made that amazing uh, ninth inning catch and throw at the, to get the out at the plate. Uh, bases loaded. I think no outs. Run you know and gets gets both outs there. One and two. Brian McCann was the catcher. And so, like, you know, completely saves and holds everything for the Atlanta Braves. Uh, that dude played, he played seven different positions during mm-hmm. his time in Atlanta because he played both corner outfield spots, all four spots in the infield, and he pitched. How can you not love Charlie Clutch? I love the fact that he's back. I love even more the fact that Charlie Culberson's hair, the Twitter account, will now be reaffirmed and come back mm-hmm. because that was an Atlanta guy that put that together. So Culberson back as the Braves put him. I don't know what their ultimate goal is as far as having him on the team besides great locker room guy. As you just said, he can play anywhere he is needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, be a great pinch hit guy that they can bring in when needed. Uh, also makes me wonder – uh, outfield getting a little packed right now because I kind of wonder now with uh, Culberson coming in if that just paves the way for Ozuna to start being phased out a little bit more and more each and every day. Part of me wants to hope that Atlanta's working on some sort of deal since he's gotten hot in May to try to offload him for literally any asset. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and this would be something, this would give you more flexibility. But if you think about like right now, you've got your, your starting three as far as uh, Harris and Acuna, and Rosario, you have Pilar, you have Hilliard. When you add him, you'll have six options who can play where you don't even have to worry about Ozuna. So it, it does make sense that this kind of might be the precursor. You know, having him up versus having Braden Shoemake up, one, Shoemake can now go play every day. But mm-hmm. then two, it gives you more flexibility if you're finding somebody who's interested in taking that Ozuna money. And honestly, all you have to do is take the contract and you can have them. It's, I don't even think the Braves are looking for an asset back. Give yeah. us a bad starter if you have one. We'll give it. It'll give us an arm for the rotation. But really, we'll just take anything for him, right? Yeah, yeah. With those, I mean, especially if somebody's willing to pick up the money. Otherwise, the Braves are going to probably have to pay part of that salary wherever he goes, uh, and, and try to get and still try to get somebody in the deal. Uh, let's take a look at the week that was uh, Texas. I told you my biggest worry was Texas win series, and that's what my I was my biggest fear with not having a full rotation of pitchers. Uh, that that would end up taking place. However, the Braves end up grinding it out, especially on the last game of the series. And uh, what, you know, players coming up big. Bats came up big finally after being kind of cold. So uh, what a big series win against a top American League team in the Texas Rangers down in Arlington. Yeah, Auburn goes, uh, Atlanta goes 12-0 shutout in game one. You're like, okay, this is going to be 
not right. bad. They drop game two, a Jerry <clears throat> Schuster start. He doesn't look bad. They just, they drop it later. It's bullpen stuff. And then game three, you're like, oh, great. This is going to be more, you know, more of the same. You don't get the kind of start that you were expecting mm-hmm. uh, from, you know, from one of your aces and Spencer Strider. But uh, six to five, you grind it out, you get it. So still a losing road trip, but you don't lose both series on the trip. You go two and four and then a much needed day off so that you have plenty of rest for a lot of guys going into this weekend. Uh, It felt good that the bats were going. It felt good that some guys who have struggled a lot recently, and I'm thinking about Austin Riley, had a good series for the most part, you know, got multiple hits. Uh, Obviously, Ronald Acuna continued to just crush incredibly long home runs. I want to say he had four, like four straight games of the home run, and three of them were over like 440 feet. And it's Mm -hmm. something like seven of his last eight have broken 440 feet. It's ridiculous. Uh, But very big for the to to salvage the road trip and to have a good mindset going into the off day. I think that's something we don't talk about enough is what happens immediately before your off day. To come back and rally like that to win late has to have you feeling a lot better than if you drop that game late. And a little pitching got saved. We take that into the Seattle weekend. And the reason being is because it turns out that there may be a bullpen game before it's all said and done with. No starter has been mentioned for Saturday. So uh, it'll be uh, Seattle coming into town and, and, and two truest. And the Braves, some familiar faces on the mound on Friday, Sunday. However, we may see a host of everybody on Saturday. Yeah. So Friday is the Battle of the Bryces, Bryce Miller of the Seattle Mariners versus Bryce Elder of the Braves. <clears throat> Bryce Miller has already uh, proven to be the one true Miller. You're only allowed to have one Miller. He beat Mason Miller of the A's. So now he's going to try to take on the other Bryce in Major League Baseball. Uh, Sunday, you're going to get another young pitcher for Seattle. You're going to have uh, George Kirby versus tr- old, old man Uncle Charlie Morton. Yep. But Saturday is listed as a TBD for the Braves versus youngster Logan Gilbert. And when you look at the bullpen usage for the Braves, it's really kind of pointing towards we saved a bunch of guys to do a bullpen game versus making another call up. Because on Wednesday, you use Jesse Chavez, you use Rizal Iglesias, you use Nick Anderson, AJ Minter threw like four pitches, but that's it. But then Dylan Lee and Joe Jimenez haven't thrown since Tuesday. And then Colin McHugh, Michael Tonkin, and Kirby Yates, none of those three have thrown since Sunday. So if you're able to avoid using them tonight, you're in a situation where you have three key relievers who have not thrown in five days. Mm. And theoretically, it points towards those guys who could theoretically give you multiple innings. Lee and Jimenez haven't thrown since Tuesday. They could give you multiple innings. And if you can get by tonight with Chavez, Iglesias, Anderson, and Mentor, whichever one of those guys don't throw tonight, you can turn around and use them to finish out that Saturday game. Uh, it's a long homestand coming up, it is. but it just kind of makes sense that kind of given where the starters have lined up in AAA, if you don't have to use the bullpen tonight that much to carry that much of a, of a load, you'll have plenty of options if you want to do a bullpen thing on Saturday. Yeah, the good news is you talked about a long homestand, Seattle, L.A., Philly. Uh, no days off. However, you get to sleep in your own bed every single night. So that's mm-hmm. going to make a huge difference for the Braves. Uh, expectations for the weekend. I say two of three from Seattle. I just don't think that they can sweep. And and, and honestly, I'm kind of putting it on that bullpen game uh, it just because I, you, you don't know what you're going to get. And, and two, got to be careful how much you use them because you've got L.A. and Philly right around the corner. 
So you're going to want to use some of those arms at that point in time too. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't know what Snitz may be thinking on the bullpen game. If you get a guy that you put out there and, you know, he'd love to get three innings a piece out of him if at all possible. Mm-hmm. If you got a guy that's rolling, do you let him go four so you can save somebody else later or something of that nature? So it'll be curious to see how he uh, adjusts on the fly as far as this weekend is concerned. Yeah, three young pitchers, Bryce Miller being the youngest of the three. I'm going to say two and one as well. And I think like all three of these pitchers are very impressive for the Mariners. Obviously, you avoid Luis Castillo, their their ace. But I think one of these guys is not going to let Atlanta get to him. I'm not mm-hmm. quite sure if it's going to be Kirby on 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 Sunday. But one of these three young pitchers is going to defy expectations, keep this offense from doing too much, and steal a game for Seattle. Their, their offense has not done a lot this year. Julio Rodriguez hasn't recaptured that rookie of the year form from last year. Mm. So they're beatable if you can score enough runs. But I just feel like one of these pitchers is going to figure out the uh, – the mix against Atlanta. So I'll also say two and one. He's Lindsey Crosby. I'm Ben Taylor. Welcome Braves today. Bravestoday.com. Braves underscore today. If you find us on the Twitter verse, Lindsey, as always, thank you, sir. Thanks for having me. Chop on. So that is the Braves Today podcast with Lindsey Crosby and Ben Taylor uh, talking about the Atlanta Braves and as they get going against the Seattle Mariners this weekend at home in a much-needed home stretch for the Atlanta Braves. We appreciate those guys always letting us use their audio and uh, and talking about the Atlanta Braves. So when we come back, we'll talk some Auburn football, basketball, all the things going on in the world of sports here on the Friday edition of On the Line. On the line on ESPN 1067, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. All right, back inside the studio here at ESPN 106.7. Again, we appreciate uh, Ben and Lindsay letting us use their uh, Braves Today audio. Wanted you guys to be able to hear that and get your Atlanta Braves baseball fix before the weekend as the Braves take on the Seattle Mariners. But let's get to the phone lines for the first time today. 334-321-1390. And Ed, you're on the line. Welcome in. Hey, uh, I hope y'all have a good Friday and you know, have a good weekend. Yeah, you too, uh, Ed. Yeah, uh, I was going to call and just talk for a minute. I, you know, I saw where uh, Auburn did get a, a another wing, kind of a tall range, mm-hmm. about many pounds, but a great, I mean, over 40% three-point shooters. So, that's yeah. a pretty good fit, don't you think? Oh yeah, no doubt. And it's on it's on the uh, it's on the schedule to talk about that coming up today. But yeah, man, he is he I, uh, he may be I, your starting I three. I think he is. I mean, it, right now it's between him and Chris Moore. I think I think you're absolutely um, he's your starting three, and and he gives you length. Yeah. He gives you three point shooting. He allows you to space the floor. Yeah, and I don't I don't think we've got anybody on the team right now that's shooting as as well yeah i mean i mean 46.9 percent last year at northwest florida i don't think anybody anybody on auburn's team shot above 35 like 35 and a half last year and think about auburn's brought in multiple guys that are shooting 40 to 45 percent from the three-point line in that in that kind of 36 37 Mm -hmm. to to 40 range there there have been a few I mean, the the shooting on this Auburn team this next season is going to be miles better than it's been the past couple years. 
I, I, I think it will, and, and I, hopefully also one other thing that just you I know y'all know this, but cost us a bunch of games or a few games last year was just free throw shooting. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and hopefully they'll get that. But I, I, I wanted to talk about the elephant in the room, and, and or you know, or whatever you want to call it, with uh, Jarquez. Do y'all know any more than what? Just the and I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna go ahead and and just I'm gonna go ahead and it's not it's not you I it, it was gonna come up at some point today I'm gonna go ahead and jump out in front of this there's yeah. obviously a, a situation going on uh, it is an ongoing it. it's an ongoing investigation the university released a statement that they are uh, searching into it and trying to figure out what happened um, it involves. Uh, some players on the football team. There have been suspensions given out, uh, but given what the uh, circumstances are, and given that we just don't really know what's going on, and that there's uh, the only factual information we have is that Auburn University released a statement and they're investigating it. And, and it's so, so sensitive; it, it's not really not worth just like yeah. speculating wildly on for, from from our per- perspective. And, and that's the thing is is I don't feel comfortable and, and feel that it's our obligation to to talk about it until there's actual information and decisions made on it you know what i mean ed that's that's where i stand on that and so until we have legitimate information on it i don't we we won't comment on it and that's why i treaded lightly when i mentioned it yeah you know it's just i'll just go back you know i think we talked the other day uh you know i was talking about the john morant you know that that rascal he probably cost himself you know Seven hundred thousand dollars last year, just from like eight games. But that didn't mean nothing to him. He turned around and did the same thing. You just sometimes, I mean, it's just why do people film themselves doing dumb stuff? It's just kind yes. of beyond me. This is where we are, man. You know, it's just where where the world is, where your your phone is everything. Ed, I think Ja actually cost himself a few million dollars because I think those eight games he missed kept him off of like potential All NBA teams and stuff. And they're talking this upcoming year about possibly like half a season. Yeah, I mean he he's going to cost himself millions and millions of dollars. And uh, that, that doesn't even take into account, you know, his endorsement bills and right. stuff. Right. There's, there's, so uh, it's probably it's, it, I've heard on national shows they said hundred million that he's probably cost himself, and I, I don't know if that's close or not. But but anyway, uh, Warrigal guys, and I, I appreciate your show. I just wanted to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the main thing I guess was that I think that basketball pickup it wasn't a big. You know, it wasn't a, a huge thing, but the guy can shoot. You know that uh, I think that's great, and yeah. you know that kind of stuff will rub off. You know, all right, guys. That's right. Thanks. Yep. Appreciate the call, Ed. It's always good to hear from you. We appreciate the call here on the Friday edition of On the Line. We're going to talk basketball coming up uh, in just a few minutes at th- at two uh, thirty. Uh, talking about how, and I think it is a big deal. I think Auburn just found their starting three, and they found their starting small forward, a guy that can shoot really, really well. And I've brought this up before. I don't care where you play. I don't care who you're playing against. If you're shooting that well from the three point line, you're doing something right, and you're a good basketball player. And so. That is coming up. We are going to talk about that and sort of look at where this basketball team is right now with Bruce Pearl, uh, who 
really, they need to go get another one. I mean, if you're being honest, they need to go get another guy to play the three because you have this young man and then you have Chris Moore. And I just think Auburn needs to go and find one more. I think they have a couple of guys, but you're also sort of running out of options. So, Ed, we appreciate the call. We are going to talk basketball coming up in just a few minutes but uh for uh for hopefully what is the only time we have to address this today and ed we appreciate you calling in and and look it was going to come up at some point the situation with the football team we just don't know we know the things that we've people have seen and people have said we know that the university has released a statement players have been suspended and they're doing investigations and given the severity of the instances giving the uh, just the the crudity of what it is we are not obligated to talk about that and I don't feel that it is right for us to mention it and and speculate on anything until more news comes out and and once that happens then that's our job to address that but until more information is released and investigations are concluded we're just going to leave it at that and we'll talk some basketball when we come back we've got other things to talk about we'll talk about football transfer portal additions get you caught up on what's been a busy week on that side of things as well so stay tuned and give us a call we'd love to hear from you 334-321-1390 we'll talk Auburn basketball in their newest edition through the transfer portal when we come back Jacob Goertz and Carter Bird on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. 30 minutes into hour number one here on the Friday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. I'm Jacob Goins. He is Carter Bird with you always here on ESPN 1067. Let's get to the phone lines again, 334-321-1390. And our good buddy Jack Hutton on the phone lines calling in to talk some Auburn athletics. Jack, happy Friday, man. Hope you're doing all right. I'm doing well, fellas. I'm uh, sitting here doing some paperwork and got a little Auburn baseball on in the background. I'm watching Chase Offsup rip 97 down the middle, so that's been pretty impressive. All right. Well, yeah, of course, Auburn playing a a doubleheader today. The first game against uh, Missouri last night was uh, postponed due to the rain and the thunderstorms and all that stuff moving through. And so uh, Auburn and Missouri will be in a doubleheader. That first game is underway. Uh, Jack, how are you feeling about Auburn baseball going into this Missouri series? Man, this was a really good weekend uh, last weekend for this Auburn squad, and I know I talked to you guys about it um, pretty good length this week, but you go out to Ole Miss and, and you pretty much dominate a series that really could have been um, it really could have been sneaky to, to come up and bite you after a couple great weekends. You don't, you, you don't succumb to it. You come out, you get three wins against them. Now it's about finishing strong, um, and I think for Auburn, trying to, you know, you have an outside chance here uh, it's sneaking into the regional host bid uh, conversation. And so if Auburn can maybe get a, get them the sweep of Missouri this weekend, I think that they could be on track to do that. If Auburn sweeps and if Auburn goes to Hoover and makes a little noise, do, I mean, how confident are you? Because I, I, I'm struggling to figure out in, in – make a decision on if Auburn's actually going to host because it's if like I can convince myself if they can and then I can also see it where it's like okay let's be real right I just I'm struggling to figure out where I stand on if Auburn actually can do this or not well good thing is that the committee really values RPI when you're going with 
not only getting teams in, but also seeding. Auburn's up to 18 in the RPI, and so that's right on the cusp of that 16 spot. So if you can get into that area, if you can get into that area uh, and stay there after the SEC tournament, which likely would probably mean either uh, you know winning the games you should at the very least, or uh, when you do lose games, losing them to top-ranked teams like an LSU, um, like a honestly a Kentucky has a really RPI. You know, I mean teams like that that are going to be there. Um, so. I actually do think that it is it is still plausible for this Auburn team to do that. Um, you know, if you, if you sweep this weekend, you're going to be at 33 and 19. You would then have 17 SEC win, mm-hmm. wins, and it's hard to keep an SEC team with 17 SEC wins um, out of the hosting picture. I know it's happened in the past, and, and it's probably going to um, give Auburn at least certainly at least a two seed. But uh, I do think that they're that they're at least in the conversation if they do that. And then if you go and have a strong performance in Hoover, you're, you're looking at, I don't know how you keep them out then, um, especially if you, I don't know, you go all the way to the championship game or something. Yeah, I mean, when you look at this Auburn team, the way that they've bounced back down the stretch going, uh, I believe it's, what, 9-3 in their last 12 after starting, uh, their last 12 SEC games after starting 5-10. and 10. Uh, Part of the reason why that's happened is you've seen some guys uh, really grow up and mature on the mound and improve some things, and uh, that's something we talked about yesterday Yesterday with Chase Ossup, who's on the mound right now. They've worked with them on some mechanical stuff, so changing up some pitches, trying to make it more difficult. Um, how big has that been for this team and for a guy like Ossup, who has kind of settled into this Friday night role here recently and has put strung together a few big performances? Well, the thing you notice pretty quickly about Chase Ossup is that when he's on He's not necessarily doing anything very splashy. I mean, it, it's not a whole lot of run. It's not this big breaking ball. It's just load up and rip 97 miles an hour down the middle. And that's what he does best, right? He's a power pitcher. He's from Dothan originally where you produce a lot of those power-like pitchers. And so, you know, I mean, that's, that's what he does when he's at his best. And, by the way, there's strike three. I'm, I'm just looking over here at my <laughs> looking over here at my uh, device. But – yeah, just saw Chase Alsop, another strikeout, 97 down the middle. So, I mean, there you go. That's, again, what he does really well. Mm-hmm. And at the college game, 97, I mean, 97 is hard to hit anywhere, but 97 in college is so difficult to hit for most of the one through nine hitters. You know, I mean, you're going to get the guys that are on top of it. You're going to get a guy to run into it every now and again. But if you throw 97, 98 in college, I mean, and you can throw it down the middle pretty consistently, there doesn't have to be – a whole lot of run on it for it to be really challenging for hitters. So I think really the case with Alsup is just rear back and trust your power on what you got. Um, you know, for some of the other guys, they're a little more finesse. Um, Drew Nelson is probably going to be called upon this weekend to to come into a big role because you got Christian Herberholt out. Um, there's some rumblings as well, and and again, I'm I, I don't know this for sure, but. There's some rumblings that maybe Tommy Vale has some sort of a stomach bug this weekend. Um, I don't know the validity of that. Just kind of seen some different some different posts about that. But Tommy Vale um, flu game? Yeah, maybe so. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully, maybe pump him up full of steroids, and uh, you know, tomorrow he goes out there and and gives you gives you a few innings. Um, no, but I mean that's just that's the thing is that it's a depleted Auburn pitching staff yet again. But over the past few weeks, they've put it together. Guys have stepped up in situations. Drew Nelson has done it. You had Zach Crotchfeld do it. Um, of course, Christian Herberholtz has done it. 
if he's out this week, you may rely on some other guys. Of course, they're going to big uh, lean big on Tanner Ballman, Will Cannon, uh, Chase Isbell's probably a guy that they'll they'll go to a lot quicker. Maybe a Connor Copeland. So you know, you got names in there that are starting to come along. It's just about can they get hot at the right moment? And so far, they've done it. Well, Auburn baseball playing a doubleheader today versus Missouri. They'll wrap up the series tomorrow over at Plainsman Park before they go up to Hoover next week for the SEC tournament. Jack, while we have you on the phones, I want to talk a little basketball. We have yet to really get into it a whole lot. Uh, Ed called in before this and asked us a little bit about it, and uh, it's on the rundown to get into that right now. And so Auburn basketball finally, Jack, finally finds their starting small forward, and uh, he can shoot the three ball pretty well. What did you think about the addition? Yeah, I thought uh, we were going to have Leor Berman start at the three for a while. And, you know, I was I was trying to convince myself more and more that, okay, well, you know, maybe Auburn's got a shooter that he can kind of run the floor. He knows the offense. And this is this is a much better uh, option, I think. As, as much as Auburn fans love Leor Berman and Chris Moore, I think this is a much better option at the three for Auburn right now. Um, this is a guy that he's he's been around, right? I mean, this is going to be his fourth year uh, at, at, a, at a fourth college. And so – He's a guy that's been around. He's hopped around a good bit, but um, fortunately he's going to be a guy that probably is going to stick around for a couple of years. Um, he's a big-time three-point shooter at 6'7", and so already that tells you that, I mean, you've got something special in him. Not only uh, does he have a, does he have the ability to go up and rebound and, and kind of use his length on defense, but he's also a big-time shooter. I think it's 47% last year in junior college. Um, and so, I mean, you know, and of course that's not probably going to translate to the SEC, but at the same time, shooting numbers are shooting numbers and it doesn't matter where you are. You're throwing it up from, you know, 30 feet and it's going in, it's going to go in in a lot of places. So, um, I think this is a really good get for Auburn, especially after losing Alan Flanagan. I'm not sure what this does to your chances with a guy like Tyron Lawrence, bringing him in, or, or maybe even a Julian Phillips, if he, um, wanted to come it probably puts a little bit of a damper on it um well i just I think, think it's would, i think i think this this is a move you make when you're moving on from tyron lawrence julian phillips yeah. we know the the whole waiver situation will make that difficult regardless uh and i mean to be honest that's that's on julian phillips because if he knew he was going to transfer not not hopping in before may 1st and leaving all his options open is a heck, a heck of a just, I mean, it's an unforced error. Well, that's where I think some of the kids that enter the transfer portal like this, you know, there's always the moniker that the grass is always greener. And it's just, it doesn't seem to be the case everywhere you look. I mean, you know, sure, it can be a little bit more so, I guess, in basketball than it is in football. But, I mean, a lot of these guys, you know, they'll jump in and, they may have a plan. They may have been in contact with schools before, but some of these guys are jumping in because, you know, they think that they can go higher. They think they can go bigger and, um, you know, get on, get on, get somewhere where they can showcase more of their talent. And, and really it doesn't have anything to do with the minutes they've gotten. It's just, they haven't built themselves to be the best version of themselves yet. And so um, I, I do think that there's a little bit of that belief with a lot of college players that, Hey, the grass is always greener on the other side. So, you know, I'm going to transfer over here get 35 minutes a game and, and go off and, and become a first round draft pick. Well, that's probably not going to happen if you have, if you haven't really already done it, it's, it's unlikely and it could happen, but that's probably not going to. So um, that's where I think some of this is. I know Julian Phillips doesn't really fit 
quite that mold because I think he is an NBA prospect. But um, I just wonder if, you know, that sort of thing, a lot of times in the transfer portal you get guys who don't really know exactly about what entering the portal is going to do um, to their eligibility and due to, you know, what the options that they're going to have. Um, and they end up kind of in situations like this. Something, uh, a comparison that I just stumbled across that, you know, it's definitely intriguing and and the the comped player I would uh, definitely take on this Auburn team immediately next year. But I it's coming from that same junior college league. I I saw a comparison to Keon Ellis, who played kind of that guard wing role at Alabama. Okay, six foot six, one ninety, very similar build to yep. Chad Baker Mazzara. Uh, shot the three well. Uh, obviously, I mean, he played 17 and a half minutes a game at Alabama his first year. I think he only played uh, in – he only started seven games. But uh, was like five and a half points that first year. But that second year, you saw his minutes tick up to 31 minutes a game. Uh, and he was 12 points per game guy. 4.2 rebounds, 6.1 rebounds in the SEC. Coming out of the same league, uh, I think Mazzara might be a better three-point shooter. I don't think he scored as much as Keon Ellis did in that league, but it's a comparison that if if Chad Baker Mazzara can give you the production he had in his second year at Alabama for you, or at least like eighty percent of that, then you're talking about this is a really big pickup because he doesn't he doesn't have to be the lead guy. He doesn't have to be the second or third guy on this Auburn team. Well, that's where I was going to go is with Chad Baker Mazzara. He doesn't have to be a twenty point scorer. He doesn't have to be the go to guy. Auburn needs a knockdown three-point shooter. Auburn needs a guy that the guards can can get into the lane and kick it out and get a three. Or off of an offensive rebound, the best time to shoot a three-pointer, kick it out to a Chad Baker Mazzara and let him knock it down. You need a guy at the late game with two minutes to go to hit that dagger three to put you ahead or to put you out of reach, right? Auburn hasn't had that in since Bryce Brown and Jared Harper. I mean, they just haven't had a guy like that. And so if Mazzara can continue to shoot the three-point shot at a high level, and Jack, I'm with you. I don't think he'll shoot it quite as high just because you're playing SEC-level defenses, but it doesn't matter where you're playing. If you can shoot like that, you can shoot. And so for Auburn and for Chad Baker Mazzara, hopefully the pressure is not on him to be that guy, and he can just come in and shoot the basketball at a high efficiency. And that's the other good thing about bringing in a lot of these guys with those numbers. Is I mean, you know, you look at Denver Jones, you look at Chaney Johnson. I mean, you and Aiden Holloway. Really, even though we haven't seen him at the college level, these are guys that are known shooters nationwide. And so you're bringing in not only. Uh, Chad Baker Mazzara, who's a very good three-point shooter, but you're also bringing in a supporting cast that can also shoot it well. And we know how contagious three-point shooting can get. We've seen it in Bruce Pearl offenses before. So um, I think that that's the mold that they're going for again. I'll tell you, the only thing that I I think I'm a little concerned about with Baker Mazzara is can his physicality match up um, to what you need at an SEC three? I think uh, you're going to have to maybe buy some minutes with uh, Chris Moore in there to kind of give you what you need physically at that position. But I do think this is a guy that probably starts for you at the three, um, and he probably plays big minutes. I just wonder how he matches up, uh, like rebounding-wise, driving the paint. Can he do those things that you need to do as an SEC small forward? 
Jack, as always, we appreciate you calling in and talking a little ball with us. Are you going to Plainsman Park at all today? I'm going to try to get over there, yes. i got a couple more things at the office to do, but um, should be over there at some point tonight. Are we ever going to see you back in the uh, studio? <laughs> I'm doing my best, man. We had a little busy <laughs> season here, but uh, hopefully I'll be in there next week. Well, look, man, we're paying you too much money for you to not be in the studio, so you can try to make it happen, okay? you got to get over here and, and give us your time. We're paying you a lot of money to be here. I'm just, hey, I'm just trying to make as much as Carter, man. <laughs> well, man, enjoy your time over at Plainsman Park, and uh, we, as always, we appreciate you uh, calling in and talking to baseball and basketball, man. All right, guys, I appreciate it. That is Jack Cutton joining us on the phone lines. As always, uh, calling in. He's either in studio or uh, or calling in, talking baseball and basketball with Auburn. Uh, baseball in a doubleheader right now versus Missouri. Uh, we got basketball things to talk about. And so he always likes to call in and talk a little ball. Oh, yeah, it's always good to talk to Jack. He hasn't been in here in a while, though. It feels that way. He may have been in last week, was he? No, no. no. He I don't even think like, he called in last week. He hasn't week. been in like a month then. Oh, man, he's slacking on us, man. Absolutely slacking. Well, he at least called in and gave us a few minutes, but we appreciate Jack calling in. Looks like we'll get to the phone lines once again. When we come back, we'll wrap up hour number one here on the Friday edition of On the Line. You are on the line on ESPN 106.7. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Wrapping up our number one here on the Friday edition of On the Line. Let's get back to the phone lines, 334-321-1390. Ed, welcome back in. You got a couple of minutes, man. What's up? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll make it pretty quick. Uh, one thing I was going to mention earlier, uh, I don't know if y'all, uh, I was looking, reading quick. Byron Coward, uh, you know, is uh, still playing in the pros. Yep. And, uh, uh, you know, he, he played with Auburn for three years. I think he made like 15 tackles in three years. Yeah, it was not great met, for the number one overall player in the country coming out of high school. He, he, yeah, I met him at his at A-Day. At uh, I also met him under Holyfield. He was there with his son. Uh, on Elijah, that same he played running back in Georgia. Yeah, mm-hmm. I forgot about him. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's pretty cool. But, but what I was thinking about this would be this would make like a good book even uh, about who claims the the like a lot of Auburn people have kind of had fun with Alabama claiming Jalen Hurts after this past year, but they run they didn't run him off, but he left. He still loves Alabama. Yeah, you know you hear him talk about him, but uh, you know Alabama claims him, and if he had left and he had gotten involved in some bad act, you know that's murder or something. You know Alabama, well, that's why we run him off. But the same thing goes for like Auburn, and I'm just going to just throw up like like it it just said former Auburn defensive lineman, mm-hmm. and Byron left, and you know, but but. Like, let's just say uh, that Bo Nitt winds up just being, just having a fantastic year next year. Uh, Auburn people are going to claim him the same way. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, well, I mean, he's played three years at Auburn as a starting quarterback. I agree. Uh, yeah, but but, but he, he didn't do anything at Auburn like he, he did last year at, at Fair. Oregon. But 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 if, if he had went up to Oregon and he had gotten – 
you know, involved in some kind of a scandal or whatever like that. I, I'm just saying that fans can be hypocritical. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, it, uh, and it, especially when it when it you know benefits their team or benefits their argument. Yeah, yeah, and it, it, that's not an Auburn thing, not an Alabama thing. That's a sports thing. It's just, <laughs> it, it, just a person. It's just a people thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know that, that we're so quick to. To, to hold what makes us look good and to throw out, but it, it, I just thought it was kind of yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, no, I, uh, and I think it's a good conversation. Yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah, appreciate the call. Ed. We appreciate you calling back in. It's always good to hear from you as we wrap up our number one. Got about a minute or so. I think the Bo Nix one is interesting because Auburn fans, the Bo Nix situation was just so chaotic the entire time because it was a it was such a love-hate relationship with Bo Nix when he was at Auburn with Auburn fans if he goes and wins the Heisman Auburn fans I don't I'm gonna disagree I don't think they'll claim Bo Nix as like an Auburn Heisman win you know what I'm saying no 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 no. you're you're not claiming him as an Auburn Heisman winner you're claiming him as an Auburn player he you have the ability to do that I agree but I think he's a completely different player whereas Jalen Hurts between Alabama and Oklahoma he was he was better at Oklahoma, he was, but he, he was, was he was not that great of a passer at Alabama. And Lincoln Riley put together one really good passing season, and I mean he was still the runner and everything. Like it was his best year by far. I think both schools have the right to claim a guy like that in that scenario where like things were accomplished at both schools. Like mm-hmm. Bo Nix is one of the st- statistical leaders at the quarterback position for Auburn. He broke the curse and, in Baton Rouge. Yes, he has that moment. He he won the 2019 Iron Bowl, which, by the way, doing interviews last year, they asked him what his favorite moment from his career has been. He still cites that. Like, yeah. he, I promise you, he still claims Auburn, and Auburn has the right to claim him. If you accomplish things at both schools, I like, but Byron Cowart... At Auburn, no, I don't. I, I I don't claim him, and I don't think he claims Auburn. No, nah. Kyler Murray, Texas A and M, I think it's probably the same way. Yeah, that's a good one too. That's a really big and, and that's an interesting it, it, one it, as well. Context matters depending on what you do at both schools. No doubt about it. Hour number one in the book. Stay tuned. We'll talk Auburn basketball and football, all things transfer portal coming up in hour number two. is an Auburn Network production. You are on the line. Live on ESPN 1067. Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goetz and Carter Bird. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Happy Friday, everybody. Hope you're doing well as we get underway in hour number two here on the Friday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. I'm Jacob Goins. With me, as always, is Carter Bird here on ESPN 106.7. If you missed any of hour number one, that uh, flew by, by the way. We had great calls, great guests, uh, lots of things going on, and uh, we appreciate you all if you're still here from hour number one or just 
now tuning in in hour number two. It's been a lot of fun. If you missed any of it, be sure to go and catch up with the podcast. You can find it a couple of ways at ESPNAU.com. Again, that is ESPNAU.com, or just search on the line wherever you get your podcast. We talked about uh, the Atlanta Braves, had some uh, Braves Today audio from their podcast, talking about the Braves coming up this weekend. Uh, we also talked to Auburn basketball as they found, uh, hopefully, what is their starting small forward in Chad Baker-Mazar. We're going to talk some more about that here in hour number two, plus some Auburn football transfer portal, getting you caught up on what's been a busy week or so in transfer portal edition as well and so that's what's coming up here in hour number two Fridays are wide open for you on the phone lines give us a call we want to hear from you and your thoughts what are you watching this weekend what are you going to be uh, going and attending are you going to the baseball games at Auburn are you uh, watching golf this weekend watching basketball or hockey let us know we want to hear from you 334-321-1390 Carter I want to start hour number two with uh, breaking news as of about 10 minutes ago or so yeah it's it's um it's a tough one i guess about 30 minutes or so but uh yeah all-time great i mean one of if not the greatest football players to ever live jim brown he's died at the age of 87 yeah i mean a lot of people consider him the greatest running back of all time eight-time all-pro nine-time pro Pro bowler hall of famer uh won an nfl championship because i guess it was before the, the the super bowl was a thing uh mvp three times i mean all-decade team in the 60s. Um, I mean, really great player. He was um, on the NFL 100 all-time list. I think he's also been named like the number one player in college football history, like, according to uh, – uh, I forget – and like they're and when they did that one college football like celebrating 150 years of college football i think he got the number one spot in college football did um did jim brown and unfortunately uh it's being reported everywhere that he has uh, passed away at the age of 87 and so um man what a what a legendary player he was and listen to this stat right here this is unbelievable oh i just lost it i had it somewhere it's gone now oh here it is in 118 regular season games he ran for 100 yards in 58 of them, at least. How about he, that? How about that, huh? Over half of his games, he ran for over at least 100 yards. That's unbelievable. That's in unbelievable. His, in his, what, 10-year um, NFL career, or however many years he played, he led the NFL in rushing in all but one. And that year, he ran for 996 yards. That's unbelievable. I mean, we're talking about a different era of football, and he <laughs> yeah. ran for 1,863 yards in 1963. Mm-hmm. How about that? Yeah, uh, his number has been retired for the Browns, has a statue outside uh, there at First Energy Stadium as well in Cleveland. And so, yeah, I hate to, hate to see that, man. That That's... I mean, it happens, right? I mean, just, you know, getting up there in age and it, it happens. But yeah, one of the uh, legends in the game of college football and NFL football, uh, one of the greatest of all time, Jim Brown is, has died at the age of 87. And playing at Syracuse, man, think about that. Played college at play, play college football at Syracuse. And then went on to be just an absolute legend. And so definitely wanted to uh, to mention that Jim Brown, again, uh, one of the greatest to ever play the game of football, uh, has died at the age of 87. But um, uh, as we kind of move on from that, uh, talking more Auburn basketball, the Tigers and Bruce Pearl, uh, and what has been a 
pretty quiet transfer portal window for them, uh, and it's been quiet over the last couple of weeks. They finally find their starting small forward, the three position that they've been looking for. Chad Baker Mazzara has committed to play for Auburn. Late last night was the decision for him, and uh, this guy could shoot the lights out and has a chance to be a really, really good addition for Bruce Pearl and this team coming up in 2023. Yeah, I mean, he's somebody who has um, has been at a high-level basketball team. I mean, we've seen what that San Diego State team has been uh, over the past few years. Obviously, this past year, they played for a national championship. Um, he played 31 games there in the 21-22 season. Uh, 6.4 points, only played 12.8 minutes per game, 6.4 points, one point, or two, two rebounds right on the dot, 0.6 assists, 0.7 steals, 0.5 blocks, uh, but was 39.3% from three, uh, was almost a 90% free throw shooter. Uh, I think he had to leave there because of academic reasons. Uh, he ended up at Northwest Florida, where over, I guess, this past year, he played in 32 games, 15.2 points per game, 48.8% from the field, um, 46.9% from three. That's so good. Six foot seven. That's so good. He may not shoot 47% from three at Auburn, but he's going to be a good three-point shooter because he's got the length. He's he's a long player. He's going to release that three higher than than a lot of um, a lot of. I guess defenders will be able to get in his face. Um, and again, he's going to be on a team that can kind of space the floor a bit and shoot, and he doesn't have to be the primary option. He's going to get opportunities to shoot threes. Mm-hmm. And I think that is something, the ability to kind of catch and shoot is maybe something easier to translate from a junior college to to Division One SEC level because it's about, I mean, if you're surrounded by guys who can space the floor and you can get these open looks, you're, I mean, it's the, it's the same shot. Yeah, it's the exactly. Same shot. The pressure's taken off a little bit. And, and he's still a good free throw shooter, by the way. I know I wanted to get that uh, mention in because Ed was talking about the free throw shooting last year not being good. Bruce Pearl's teams in recent years have not shot the free throw well, have not shot the three three the three pointer well, uh, and this addresses both of those needs. Mm-hmm. And, I, and it's it's big to add a guy like this well look shoot or shoot and and a guy that if you come in and you're playing at the three when you're playing behind Trey Donaldson Aiden Holloway Denver Jones at the guard spot you don't have to be you don't have to have the basketball in your hands a whole lot and if you're a spot-up shooter, catch-and-shoot guy, or even shoot off the dribble, you just you don't have to make plays because those guards should be good enough to make plays for you. I think Aid's ability to use his quickness, get in the paint, and distribute, uh, his, he will score. He'll get his. He'll hit some threes. He'll hit some contested layups, uh, which I love the way that he, dating back to uh, what I've watched of his game, his ability to, when he does drive, protect the basketball from shot blockers. Uh, Janai Broom with what I think he's going to be able to do with a team that will spread defenses out, what he's, able, what he's going to be able to do down low with what we saw at the G League Elite Camp, what we saw at the NBA Draft Combine, because he had a great first game mm-hmm. there. I think he had 23 points and 11 rebounds, 20 points, 11 re- rebounds, if I recall. I think that this is the experience for Janai Broom has been so good that I think he can take away a lot of confidence from this, and I think it can fuel him going into this next season. I think he's going to be your primary option on this offense. Denver Jones is probably going to be up there 
as well. Probably your number two option with the amount of scoring he brings to this team. And when you look through through the offense, I mean, there's scenarios where Chad Baker Mazzara might be the fifth option on the court behind Janai Broom, behind Denver Jones, behind Jalen Williams, behind Aiden Holloway. And if that's the case, there's not going to be a lot of pressure on him, and he's going to get open looks. And if he can just shoot the way that he shot in his career, he's going to be effective. Yep. And it's just, what can you bring on the defensive end? And I've, from what I've been told, you basically aren't allowed to play basketball at San Diego State if you don't have some ability on the defensive end. So that's something that uh, I'm curious to see, is how, how good can he be on the defensive side of the ball? For this Auburn team, and if he can bring that defense at six foot seven, we're talking about a guy who the stat line may not blow you away every game, but I think he's going to be a very consistent, very solid player. And there'll be a couple games where maybe a couple guys are having off nights, and you see Chad Baker Mazzara hit four, five threes and have a 20-point game when you really need it. Well, that's the thing. I think he can just be a really effective player. And I think you'll see a game or two where he could absolutely go off and go nuclear and go for 25 points from behind the three-point line. And there may be games, guys, that he may only have six points. But he will be a – I think he can be a go-to option when you need a three-point shot. Do I expect him to be put the ball on the floor, get to the rack, get fouled in the free-throw line, and make a play at the end? No, I don't. But I don't think he has to be that guy because of all the players you just mentioned, Carter – Janai Broom, Jalen Williams, Denver Jones, Aiden Holloway, Trey Donaldson when he's on the floor. Cheney Johnson. Of, yeah, Cheney Johnson, exactly. All of those guys are your playmakers. KD, KD with what we saw at the end of the year, with his that's ability fair. to yeah, when that's he fair. that three-point shot, yeah. and then it opened up his ability to drive and get back to the free-throw line. If he can do that, like mm-hmm. there's a lot of scoring on this, on this Auburn team. Finally. And, hey, finally. Maybe all that scoring scared off some guys that Auburn was after. And it very well could have. And and you talked about having to play defense at San Diego State. That's where Chad Baker Mazar was originally. He was sixth man of the year in the Mountain West Conference. He averaged 12 minutes per game and scored six points off the bench. So, again, in just 12 minutes, he was coming in and averaging six points at San Diego State, where if you're like, oh, San Diego State, yeah, they were in the Final Four this year, folks. So just keep that in mind. Where They're in the National Championship game. Exactly. They're a good team. They're a good program. And you absolutely have to play defense out there. And you have to play defense at Auburn because – we have seen Auburn not be good offensively and still be elite defensively. I'm looking at Zeb Jasper, who never scored, but he was a really good defender. And so you bring in Chad Baker Mazzara, who can shoot the basketball. The pressure on him should be extremely low. I think he could be a really, really good player and a knockdown three-point shooter. That's all I need him to do. I need him to knock down threes and play solid defense. If you're As long as you're not a liability on defense – and knock down some threes, Chad Baker-Mazzara is good to go for me. And it seems like he will be your starting option at that three spot. And I think your starting five is set, Carter. I think you're looking at Aiden Holloway at the one, Denver Jones at the two, Chad Baker-Mazzara at the three, Jayla Williams at the four, and Janai Broom at the five. I, yes, I agree. I don't. I think Auburn could potentially add one more player. I think, I think, I think I they think, do. I, I don't think it's going to be another three. Uh, I think it 
you might see a post player, somebody who could play the four and five, because then that'd give you the flexibility. Then Ch- Chaney Johnson could back up the three. Mm-hmm. He could play some four. And if you got a guy who can kind of be, because we saw some games where Janai Brim and Dylan Carville got in foul trouble. Doesn't happen very often where both get in foul trouble. But when that does happen, I think you need something you can go to defensively uh, at least at the five. So if you get somebody who can kind of play, be a a third four and a third five behind Chaney Johnson and Jalen Williams at the four and behind Dylan Cardwell and Janai Brim at the five, I think that would be worth looking into. Well, look, we've had this conversation before, and I'm going to bring it up again and make a statement here. I'm calling out Jalen Williams this year. <laughs> I am, and I think Auburn fans should. I know you have, and I'm doing it. Jalen Williams has to be that dude this year at the four because there are guys behind him. There are guys behind him, and there are guys that Auburn could go get that are going to push him. And they they better. They better push him, and he better respond because if he doesn't become the guy we think he can be, he doesn't need to be in the starting rotation. Who? I mean, other than, I mean, he, he was the two behind Jabari Smith um, in his career. Who has really pushed him? Because early in his career, I don't think he ever viewed himself as a starting guy. For and I think that was a mistake. I think that's why you saw it take so much time his freshman year to get yeah. out of the court. And when he did get out on the court, he did cool stuff. He, he, he ooped it awesome to himself stuff. off the backboard. Which doesn't happen in college basketball. Doesn't happen in basketball. That's LeBron <laughs> James type of stuff, literally. Uh, and so, no, I, I'm look, Jalen Williams has all the potential in the world to be one of the best players in the entire Southeastern Conference. But if he doesn't become that, we have to move on. And Bruce Pearl has to move on. And well, we have he, not he's he's only got one year left. I think I'm talking mid season move on. I'm no, talking replace no. him. No, 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 no. Who are you gonna re- replace him with? That's what I'm saying. You gotta go like, get somebody. Like Cheney could start, yeah. I'm but, for it. But if, if Jalen Williams doesn't become that dude At this point in the process, you're not finding somebody at the four that's gonna be better than Cheney and Jalen in my mind I think it's too late in the process I, look even if he never finds flips that switch that we've seen Chuma that we've seen Okoro flip where they became they realized I'm the best daggum player on the court every time I go out there and that's why you saw Chuma elevate from a third option on that on that final four team to end of SEC play, SEC tournament that you win, and then into the NCAA tournament, he was your guy. And he was great on defense, and he was the best player on the floor. Yes, Bryce Brown. Yes, Jared Harper could go get you points. But the following, and then Chuma tears his ACL, the following year, Isaac Okoro, when it clicked for him, and he realized, he realized I'm the best athlete on the court, and I can go to the rack whenever I want and get to the free throw line at a minimum, and I'm also the best defender in college basketball that year. Yes. That's when you saw him become a top, what, seven pick? That's when you saw that that team. He was top five. At the end. Yeah, you're right. Uh, that's when you saw the end of that year. Nobody in the SEC was playing better ball than Auburn was going into that SEC tournament. It's a daggum shame we didn't get to see what yeah. Samir Dowdy, with the confidence he had, Javon McCormick, with, with the way he exceeded every expectation, and Isaac Okoro, Potentially playing, I mean, Wiley was playing his best ball of his career that year. Believe it or not, yeah, he was. He was, he was the best center. I mean, he was better than 
with all due respect to Anthony, and I love Anthony, and Anthony's a great player, and, and all due respect to all the other previous versions of Austin Wiley, that was maybe the best um, center play a Bruce Pearl center had had to that point. You can put it up there. I think I think, I don't, I think he was farther down the list than Janai was in terms of offensive options, but I think he was probably second to Janai in terms of center play under Bruce Pearl. When he caught the basketball. Well, and and oh gosh, wow! I just forgot about Kessler. Uh, well, his hands got better that year. It did. They did. Uh, but yeah, I, when you look at until these past couple years, that was the best center play that year. Bruce Pearl had had. Yeah. And and that team, I would have been really. I think that was a Sweet Sixteen potential Elite Eight team. Which you want to talk about? If you go to a Final Four and Elite Eight back to back years, and the Elite Eight year is in your rebuild year after losing all your your veteran guys, your star players, your top three options off the team before. I would have been that huge. would have elevated this Auburn program to a height that we haven't seen. I think this year's team has a chance to be very similar to that team. But I think a lot of that revolves around what started this conversation was Jayla Williams. He has to become that guy. He can. He can be a really effective player still without finding that switch. If he finds that switch, this is an Elite Eight Auburn team this year. I'm with it you. It is, because Jalen Williams, if it just clicks for him, he'll be a top five player in the conference, potentially a top three player in the conference. But it's got to happen, man. And it, Auburn, it has Auburn to happen. have two top five players in this league with Janiah Brim and Jalen Williams. It has to happen, though. And I think he will get pushed. I th- he has to get pushed because it, and it, it's not even a frustration. It's just we know how good Jalen Williams can be. And we know how good Auburn could be with that version of Jalen Williams, with Janai Broom, with a Chad Baker-Mazar, with Denver Jones, with Aiden Holloway. Dude, that's an unbelievable starting five. Somebody, if you could just take a little bit of Katie Johnson's confidence. Not all. You can, take, you can, Katie, take, you can Katie, take a lot of Katie's confidence and he would have plenty left over. Don't, yes. let's, if you just take <laughs> a little bit honest. of that confidence, because when Katie's on the court, nobody believes in Katie, in Katie more than Katie. And, and I think that that's a great quality in some aspects. Sometimes when it's not going well and you see him continue to force up some bad shots because he thinks he cannot miss and KD got he has that Kobe mentality um, man he's got that Kobe Bryant it's not great but, but if you could just siphon a little bit of that confidence and inject it into Jalen Williams I think you're talking about an Auburn team that could be special could could go to an, another elite eight before for Nate Oates and Alabama have in a year where we're thinking 24 could be that super special year, 23 is looking pretty so, solid. 23-24, I think, has a chance to be really good. Elite 8, good. 24-25, the pieces fall where I think they could. We're talking about the potential of one of the 10 best teams in the country and a potential Final Four. Well, shocker, I know, but we have gone way past our break here in the start hour number two. Talking all things Auburn basketball, we'd love to hear from you. Phone lines are open on this Friday afternoon, 334-321-1390. But when we come back, we're going to take just a little break. We'll have question of the day talking about this weekend in sports. What are you looking forward to the most around sports this weekend? We'd love to hear from you. 334-321-1390. We'll talk about that when we come back. On the line on ESPN 1067, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. 
All right, question of the day here on the Friday edition of On the Line. It's been a couple days since we've done this, but it's Friday, so want to uh, hear what is going on in, in your world when it comes to sports this weekend. Carter, we'll talk about this as well. We'd love to hear from our listeners. 334-321-1390. What are you looking forward to most this weekend when it comes to sports? Lots going on. You've got baseball this weekend, college baseball, wrapping up regular season play uh, with Auburn and Missouri. You've got some really good matchups around the SEC. Uh, NBA and NHL playoffs, which I don't know how it gets any better than what we've already seen. How about a four-overtime game in the NHL last night? Yes, I stayed up to watch it, and yes, it was awesome. And it almost went to five overtimes with the Florida Panthers going up one nothing on the Carolina Hurricanes in the series. They scored with 16 seconds to go in the fourth overtime when they were almost on their fifth is overtime. That the, is that the longest playoff game? It's the sixth Long- longest game in NHL history. So I was fighting the back of my eyelids to watch that one I was oh I was too I was too but I did it I did it and I was because I, I accepted my fate I was like if they're going to a fifth overtime I just don't know if I can do it man I, I don't know if I could do it but they scored with 16 seconds on just a weird deflection how it goes sometimes uh but what a great game that was the hockey playoffs have been fantastic NBA you've got that coming up uh going on again this weekend with the conference finals in the west uh you had the Lakers go down 0-2 last night to the Nuggets I think they're in trouble my Boston Celtics play tonight in game two you against the Miami Heat potentially if they I'm telling I'll I'll say it right here if the Celtics don't win tonight if they go down 0-2 before going back to or going to Miami for the first time in this series if Boston doesn't win tonight if the Celtics lose tonight they'll lose the series I, yeah. I believe it I think if they lose tonight and you go down 0-2 to Jimmy Butler going back home to Miami I think the Celtics lose uh by the way I will say this right now as I see it happen uh in front of my eyes right now just some advice for Missouri and their pitching staff maybe don't hang sliders first pitch to Bryson Ware Mm -hmm. because he just hit a monster bomb to left center off the scoreboard uh as Auburn a solo home run as Auburn now takes a two nothing lead I'll say that what I'm most excited about for this uh weekend is watching Auburn try to make a run at this host position which how about that if you have this if this team that we like certifiable like EKG dead, dead flat lined out yes. of the out of the tournament field pitching staff. They they just showed the stats. Which by the way, did Ike Irish just go back to back? I think he did. Yes, Auburn back to back solo home runs with two outs, and uh, I think the bottom of the sixth. Love that. So love that. So two nothing Auburn. Three nothing Auburn. Three nothing Auburn. Back to back solo home runs as. Good for Ike Irish finding a little bit of the, yeah. pa- the power stroke here yeah, down, he needs the, down the stretch these last couple weekends. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is this Auburn team. They just flashed a stat that was kind of unbelievable through until this this recent run that they've been on. the The ERA team ERA was like eight point oh nine, and over this run that they've had these last uh, few weeks, it's four point seven nine. Wow, they're they're walking. Two and a half fewer batters per game. That's huge. Uh, the walks hit the whip. Walks hits innings pitched. Um, it's down by over half. It was two point oh one. Now it's one point five one. They've turned it around, man. The, the the staff figured it out, and the the bats that were good enough to win you some games uh, early in the year, but the staff was making it so difficult on them. 
The bats have continued to stay alive, and when the pitching staff got significantly better, like they've allowed two hits through six innings. That's right fantastic, now. man. That's fantastic. Auburn baseball up three nothing on Missouri in game one of a doubleheader. I'm looking forward to this PGA Championship this weekend in golf, man. Should be a lot of fun. Scotty Scheffler's my pick to win it, by the way. I think he'll win himself another major wow. in golf. He's pick, pick a top two player in the world who's sitting at in second. He's a good player, man. We'll talk some Auburn football in the transfer portal when we come back. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. All right, we've got 30 more minutes here on the Friday edition of On the Line. And before we get to football, Carter, I cannot let that slide, man. You're hating on me for picking Scotty Scheffler to win the PGA Championship because he's one of the best players in the world? No, 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 no. I'm calling you a front runner because the first two majors of the year, you have picked a top two player in the world to win both of them. And there's just, I mean, that's like saying, oh, yeah, I'll take, <laughs> I'll take the one seed to win the championship in whatever league. It's not about being bold. It's about being right. Well, you weren't. You weren't close to right. And the well, and it's also the fact that that we're through a round and a half, and he's sitting in second. I would have told you, you Scotty Scheffler two days ago. And had you, I would have. I would have not been all over you. I don't this. believe that. That is. <laughs> I don't believe I would have that. Given you a little. There's bit no way. Of, you you of, still would have given me about it, flack about it. The fact that that you waited for him to be in second place. With only Corey Connors, who I doubt stays there ahead of him, yeah. Uh, I still I, mean, I picked shocker. Scotty Scheffler to win the Masters before the tournament started. Yeah, because I think I he's a good, Kepka. he's Kepka a great a player. A lot closer. Well, speaking of Kepka, there's your guy. He's two over right now. That's fine. Who's your pick to win the PJ Championship? I really didn't have one. This I I would have. Um, well, no, I'm not. I'm not even. And I would have said Hovland. I would have, but. And you'll probably try to get on me for that, but Hovland's not ranked where Scheffler is in the world. I like Scotty Scheffler. He's a great player. There's nothing wrong with picking a top-tier guy to win a top-tier tournament in golf. There's nothing wrong with that. Fair. I mean, I I also, and this is just this is going back to the my my love for him and how I picked him for so many majors, and then he disappeared from from the planet of golf, and now he's back. Uh, I will. I am back on the train of picking Ricky Fowler to win every major because I just want it to happen because I feel like he's a very likable guy. I don't think he's doing great in this one, but um, yeah. his game is back. He's back in the top fifty in the world, which means he'll be he'll be playing for. Uh, I think he'll be playing for the other two majors as long as he stays in there. Yeah, this this one's interesting. This PGA Championship because it's the it's got the mixture of it's got the live golfers in there, but uh, it's. That's where the tensions rise. Obviously, you've got guys like Dustin Johnson that are playing Brooks Kepka, uh, that are, and of course, Deshambo uh, is falling apart. Deshambo is falling apart, and we do. We were talking about Real this off shame. the air. Real shame. He has lost a ton of weight. Deshambo yeah. has. I mean, he has lost. Like, it's he's, not that he, he was, started today at four under, and he's at one under now. Wow, not going well. Not going well. Colin Morikawa, he's always good. He's playing. Yes, right now. but he hasn't won in what feels like forever. I know. I, I like him a lot too. He's I a, do. Oh, unbelievably likable guy mm-hmm. well hey, PJ I, will, I will also be uh my, my my picks going forward will be sahith Tagala, who i don't love think him is in it for 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 this one right now love him um and then from from now on uh in it tom kang or w- what was tom kim tom kim tom apologies. kim tom kim i will pick him forever now because uh we got to watch him go through um 
It's like he stepped into a muddy quicksand. What a disaster! Yesterday, and he literally, he literally went and jumped in the pond to wash it off. I saw that. And like he, I saw he that. broke it down. He's like, yeah, when in this camera view here, when you see me disappear, that's when I jumped in the pond. Yeah, because he um, he went and stepped in that big thick grass, and, and it's just mud. Apparently. He knew he was in trouble when one of his legs just disappeared, and yes. he just sunk, and he was oh, covered he had, in mud. He had mud up to above his knees on his pants. He had. Mud on the shirt, all over had, his arms. Yeah, I mean it was poor, poor guy, and he went. Viral. He was a great sport about oh. it, though. He was a great sport about it. There was a video of him after he saw the videos and everything that he kind of went viral yesterday, and he just started laughing. And he he was a really really good sport about it. Um, update on Ricky Fowler: He missed the cut. He's six over, and the projected cut is five over. So unless something there's, happens, there's, I think there there may be time for that to drop to six over. Maybe, right now. but as of right now, he's outside of it because uh, nobody's playing well. As we look up and watch uh, JT on a par three miss so far right, and maybe that might that's either a bunker or that's a little stream that cuts in front of the green. There's not a lot of huge names that are outside that. Well, actually, there are once you get down there. Uh, Ricky Fowler is outside the cut line. John Rahm is playing horrible. Yeah, Jason Day's outside the cut line. Um, Gary Woodland is outside the cut line. Uh, there's some. There's some. Cameron Young is outside the cut line. There's some big names on there down Bummer. there. <laughs> uh, Webb Simpson, he's always up there. But um, yeah, look, I'm looking forward to the PGA Championship this week. I enjoy it. It's one of the four majors. Um, it is being played up in New York, and yeah, I think it's it's going to be a lot of fun. It's when the best of the best come to play, and it's when they shine the brightest. You know, a very trendy pick coming into this PGA Championship because of how dominant he'd been on the on the Live Tour recently. Taylor Gooch. Yeah, he is a cool ten over. Yeah. It's almost like when you don't play as much golf as everybody else and you don't play against the best talent in the world, you don't play your best in the majors. I don't know you can say that right now, buddy, because look how good they played in the Masters. They did play good in the Masters. They did. They played how good well in the Masters. They the Masters rather. Yeah, they, they did play. My grammar, right? Yeah, they played, they played well. They did. And uh, we'll see. I'm looking forward to it. Hey, Thigala's two over. He's making the cut this weekend. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, uh, but he's not, he's not in contention yet. There's plenty of time for him to get there. Um, Rory's hanging in there. Kepka's to hanging in there. Speed hanging um, in there at two over. Yeah, I don't know how much he's going to hold up because they've been talking a lot about that wrist injury. And when you look at him, his lead arm, that left arm, he's got the wrist tape. He's got the tape down the forearm. That like that like volleyball. Like yeah, I don't know exactly what it does, but. I guess it gives some support somehow. I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah, but well, he's got that on his forearm. Well, he hasn't played in the last couple of of tournaments, and of course, he came back for the PGA Championship. So we'll you're, see. I'm looking forward. Your buddy and our new producer intern is. Uh, he's not a Scheffler fan. Yeah, he's he's on the whiteboard, and he's he's giving you some. Yeah, that's uh, fine. He's talking that's some fine. trash at you. That's right fine. Now. I'm, look, I like Scheffler. Man. If you didn't he, know, Graham is Graham is yeah going to be with us yeah. all summer. By yeah, the way. we have a new intern. Jenny is no longer here. She graduated and uh, she has moved on and, and doing bigger and better things. And so we have Graham running the board, answering phones, and he's over there talking about Scotty Scheffler. His guy's Colin Morikawa, so he's one over par. And Scheffler is uh, Scheffler is four under. So just take that into consideration. But Carter, let's try to let's transition a little bit here and talk some Auburn football in the transfer portal because it's been a busy week it's been a busy couple of weeks uh, for Auburn football in the transfer portal and just want to recap everything on this Friday afternoon because 
there's a lot that could be said. There's a lot that could be missed when it comes to what Auburn has done uh, in the transfer portal. We've talked about guys that have committed. We've talked about uh, high school recruits that have been on campus, some big, big names in the high school ranks that have been here. Uh, But I think what's most important that we've seen over the past few days is you've added a linebacker in Larry Nixon III, and you've added some wide receivers as well to this Auburn football staff. I mean, this that Auburn fans should be happy about the additions we've seen over the past week or so in the transfer portal for Auburn. I mean, wouldn't you agree with that, that Auburn fans should be happy with what they've seen so far? Yeah, I mean, I think I think Auburn fans should be absolutely happy. You're, you're talking about, I mean, the cupboard was bare. It was bare, and what the staff has done uh, to restock it, and they, they've taken what would have been a 5-17 and 17 team, even given the easy schedule Auburn has by Auburn standards, and they've elevated it to a 7-8 win team right now. I think they're not done. I think there's a couple scholarships, uh, two, three scholarships to kind of play with out there, and maybe you look at a safety, maybe you look at another edge rusher, maybe you look at another receiver. If you add those positions, you'll be at your full 85, which is amazing because I don't think Auburn's been at that full 85 for a little bit now. Um, and you'll feel, you'll feel really good going into the fall. Um, what they're doing in 24, you're building some some uh, relationships, some inroads around the state, around the southeast, uh, making an impact. They've gotten they've climbed into the recruitment of a bunch of five stars uh, all over the state, uh, outside of the state. KJ Bolden over in Georgia, the five star safety. Um, I mean, if all, if they start landing some of those some of those players, I think getting Walker White on board is enormous because he's so good at recruiting. Um, you're sitting in the top 15 already, and you don't have that many commits. I think it's only going to get better from here. I think it's only going to get better from here, and I, I think you're going to see. We're going to be talking about a couple years from now, potentially the most talented Auburn roster we've seen, maybe, maybe ever, wow. maybe ever. Really, I, I'll I'll be bold enough to say that. And in a couple of years, I mean, how long can Saban really keep coaching? <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. and when that happens, that's then. I mean, there's a crack in the door right now. The t- the torch. When that passed. happens, the torch. You, you might see Hugh Freeze just kick the door open. He might, and that's sort of what I was talking about yesterday. Was your Auburn and Hugh Freeze are getting into a time period where you have a chance to take over this state in a way you haven't seen it in 20 years and if that is the case where if you continue to see players go to Georgia and go to Alabama or go to Auburn excuse me and not go to Alabama because of maybe Alabama is not as good as they were and Auburn is getting better than what they've been and obviously Georgia is better than what they were um, I think Auburn and Hugh Freeze have a chance to gain so much ground in the state of Alabama where they've just been they've been the second option they have Auburn has been the second option in the state of Alabama for the last 20 years and you've been you've been the second option in the state of Alabama I don't think you've been the second option for Alabama kids I think you've been the third or fourth or fifth option uh, yeah because of, doesn't help because my argument of what what Clemson has done because of what Georgia has done because of uh, what some of these other schools have done coming into the state of Alabama and landing talent. I mean, heck, you know what makes no sense? Go look at when Mario Cristobal was at Oregon, the amount of Alabama kids he was landing. He was landing two or three a year. What? Yeah. How that, does that make sense? That can't happen, man. That but, can't but happen. now you've got a coach that I think has the ability 
to keep outside schools from coming into the state and landing these guys and has the ability to go toe-to-toe to Alabama. I'm not going to say he's going to win 50% of the battles, but he'll win 35, 40, 45%. And, and but I think that percentage could continue to grow. Yes, exactly, exactly. And and Gus Malzahn would win 20% of those battles, maybe, probably less than that. Brian Harson won zero of those battles. Zero. Maybe, maybe negative. Maybe. Fair. He, he, was, he was such a bad recruiter, he pushed kids that weren't even considering Alabama to Alabama. Literally. I mean, he was pushing kids from Auburn. He, I mean, if Auburn was any way an option for them, he made sure that wasn't an option anymore. I mean, that, that, that's still just one of the craziest situations we've ever seen here. But uh, again, Did I just... Did you see his tweet yesterday? Because Tom Green is leaving the Auburn beat at AL.com. I did see that. And uh, Brian Harson. <laughs> oh, gosh. I got to find it. He unblocked a bunch of the Auburn beat to make sure all the Auburn beat saw it, I think. Oh, man. Um, but I got to find it because it was credit where credit's due. It's a great tweet. It is Like actually a great tweet? He quote tweeted Tom Green's announcement. Uh, saying that it was his last last day covering Auburn for AL.com after seven years with the company and eight years covering Auburn uh, and a decade in Auburn. Uh, it's in how it's time for something new, excited to share what's next soon, all that. Brian Harson quote tweeted it with, hats off to you at Tom Green uh, and all the best on your new jersey or your new journey and um, tweeted a gif of... Pokemon throwing a hat to uh, Ash, that's, Ash Ketchum. That's fantastic. As a reference, if for those who don't know, or remember, the time Brian Harson uh, tossed hats to the Auburn beat, and Tom Green lost his mind and talked about how like he was somehow like the perspective was he was being bribed by the Auburn coach by giving him twenty dollar Under Armour Auburn hats. That was one of the few times that Brian Harson actually did something that was nice and good, and there were people that just blew him up for it. It's like, just don't. the The argument became but it's an, I credit just, where it's due. That's that's the only uh, funny and savvy thing Brian Harson did on social media. But ever. good for him. I mean, he at least he's able to joke about it now with his my, $15 my million dollar buyout. My best memory of Brian Harson's tenure at Auburn is wow. that tweet. Here we go. Is that tweet right there. This is what we've gotten into on Friday, huh? our best Brian Harson memories. <laughs> yep. Look, that, that tweet right there, that's it. I'm, I'm okay with that. I mean, I'll I respect say, I'll it. I'll say the, the LSU game on the road because it hadn't happened since 99, I guess. And we're giving Brian Harson credit for that? I mean, it happened uh, when, when we're saying best memory of the Brian Harson era. It is something that took place in the Brian Harson era. I'm not saying we're yeah. giving credit for it. I think we're giving <laughs> we're giving Bo Nix credit for turning into Johnny Menzel on a Saturday night in Baton Rouge. And he did, buddy. He absolutely did. Well, no, I did not see that Brian Harson tweet, but that is funny. And that was one of the very few times that Brian Harson did something that we seemed like most people could agree on and then there were people that just weren't about it and it's like just don't was it kind of corny yeah but just don't wear the hat that was the argument just don't wear it it's fine he was trying to be nice and whatever but no I did not see that um but as we sort of just bring all this back together before we get to break 
seems like Hugh Freeze and Auburn are not only are they figuring it out, they have figured it out, and they're filling. They are filling the roster spots that they need to. They're improving where they have to, and and I think you can say with a few spots left to fill, this Auburn roster given what they've done in the transfer portal this past week with Jair Shorter and with Larry Nixon, given what they've done in this spring cycle, given what they've done in the transfer portal in general, given what they've done in the recruiting ranks, Hugh Freeze and this staff have made an Auburn football team that can compete in the SEC. They can compete now in 2023. And that's why I think when you look at that win total that uh, DraftKings or whoever it was put up that we talked about last week, where Auburn's wins are set at six and a half, smash the over. Smash the over on six and a half for Auburn because I think they will be better than six and a half wins. We've talked about the the floor is is seven and the ceiling is nine. And I think with all of the additions in the portal and recruiting, they've made a competitive football team in the FCC West. And so Auburn fans should be excited about that, and I think they are. We'll take our final break here and come back, wrap it up on the Friday edition of On the Line, give you some updates, talk about a few more things, and get out of here before the weekend here on ESPN 106.7. You are on the line on ESPN 106.7. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Wrapping up the Friday edition of On the Line, I'm Jacob Goins. He is Carter Bird with you on ESPN 106.7 for the next couple of minutes. Stay tuned, though. The Drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck coming up from 4 to 6 right here on ESPN 106.7. Also, if you've missed any of our show today on the line, uh, you can find the podcast in a couple of ways. You can find it at ESPNAU.com. It'll be posted commercial-free right after the show today right there. Or just search On the Line wherever you get your podcast. Look for something to listen to this weekend maybe while you're uh, on the golf course or sitting outside doing whatever uh, make sure you catch up with the podcast at espnau.com but carter you've been doing some research over there man yeah, what are you, what are you yeah. looking up so, what are you you're scribbling over there what do you what do you got going on so i went back and i looked because we've we, we talked earlier about bruce pearl teams and their three-point shooting and free throw shooting um it's been since the final four year in the 18-19 season uh, Auburn has not cracked, been better than 32.6% from three. So I'm putting that out there. And above, they, they have been above 35% four, time, four out of five years for the first uh, five years of Bruce Pearl's tenure have not been remotely close since. Free throw line, they've cracked, uh, what, 73 point, been higher than 73.1%? once in Bruce Pearl's entire tenure, and that was the 17-18 season where they were weirdly really good. They were 16th in the country uh, in free throw shooting at 77.4%. But they have they're, 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 they've not been a good free throw shooting team. They've not been a good three-point shooting team of late. Just looking at Denver Jones, Chandy Johnson, and Chad Baker-Mazzara, Denver Jones last year from three, 37.1%. At the free throw line, 84.5%. From three for his career, 35.9%. So above that 35% mark that we've seen Auburn, we have not seen Auburn uh, go higher than than the final four year. Uh, He was, what, 37%, which would be stack you up as a 
pretty decent three point shooter on the on the Final Four team. Uh, he is an eighty six point eight percent free throw shooter for his career, which is way better than what Auburn has had recently. Yes, Chaney Johnson last year down year from three twenty nine point six percent, but when you look at the career numbers. He's 37.6%. That's because the year before he was 46.2% from three. That'll help. Uh, so the fact that his career numbers, way above what Auburn has shot recently from three, he is a 76.6% free throw shooter last year, 742 last year as well. That's above Auburn's average for, the, for every year but that 17-18 year. And then Chad Baker-Mazzara at San Diego State, 39.3% from three last year at junior college. 46.9% at the free throw line at San Diego State, 89.8% at the line last year in junior college, 83.5. So these are three guys that address the the biggest issue that Auburn's offense has had for the last four or five years. Yeah. And I think three point shooting and free throw shooting. Mm-hmm. I think Bruce has done really well. Is it fair to say, quickly before we get out of here, is it fair to say that? With guys coming into the SEC through the transfer portal that have yet to play in this conference, that have played in smaller teams, smaller conferences, is five percent a five percent decrease on shooting averages? Is that a fair number? I don't think it. I think it depends. Like from field goal percentage in general, maybe from two, maybe. I think from three, maybe not, because you as long as you can get quality looks, the rest of the team can get you quality looks. And then free, free throw percentage, that should stay the same all. We'll talk more basketball and football coming up next week, though. Come back on Monday. Have a great weekend. Stay safe. I'll talk to you later.